0: Welcome to season two of Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. And in season one of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing. Now season two dives deeper into grain marketing concepts that we covered in season one. So if you haven't listened to that, we invite you to start there. As you've probably gathered by now, there are so many pieces of information you can use to make grain marketing decisions. It's easy to go into information overload. Some grain marketing experts will tell you why a certain material matters. Other experts will tell you just the opposite for the same material, why it doesn't matter. Ultimately, what matters for you is developing a grain marketing plan that works for your operation. There are two reports from the United States Department of Agriculture that are used by many market analysts. They are the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates or WASDE and the Quarterly Grain Stocks reports. We'll break this topic down into two episodes. Jeff Peterson is president of Heartland Farm Partners in Lincoln. He joins us today to break down why he uses these two reports. Today in part one we'll focus on the WASDE report. First of all, kind of big picture. You know, I know you were on last season. We talked about the importance of a marketing plan. But as we go through season two here, we're taking a lot of these concepts. We're going a bit more in depth. From your perspective and and the farmers that you work with, why is it important to understand some of these elements that we've been talking about? How does that serve the farmer in your mind? I think what happens
1: is a lot of times we kind of make grain marketing way too hard. But in order to make grain marketing so it's actually a bit easier, we really kind of got to dig into the weeds a little bit and get in there and understand each of the individual pieces of it. And a lot of it, when we're trying to go up and come together with ideas about what we think is going to happen or where prices are going to go, just like on a farm, you're, you're looking for information. And you're digging in and you're looking for that information and then you're doing analysis with that information. And then from there, then you're able to, to really go ahead and put together that marketing plan and, and develop your triggers and, and develop what's going to happen when your trigger hits and how you're
0: going to execute it and, and what action it is that you're going to take, Chad. Yeah. And that's what we're going to try and accomplish here on this episode is talk about some of those elements that are a part of your decision making process that give us some of those indicators like you had talked about. When you look at all of the things that are available, Jeff, there's there is a lot out there. Admittedly, there's a lot of information that's available, but there are really two key things that I think that are a big part of the work that you do with farmers. What are those main things, would you say?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing that we do for them is that as we come in, we, we help them understand how can they physically go ahead and trigger a sale, okay, what's going to be that process. So just like they plan a certain hybrid of corn, we help them have a distinct way in which they know when it's time to sell. And then from the other side of it is that we're there to walk with them and help them to be able to execute and know what's the correct tool to use when it's time to physically sell. But something that I've noticed over time here, Chad, is that marketing, if you aren't careful, can, can off- actually get very, very complicated. Because marketing, if you look at it, all of a sudden you've got all these individual pieces of information and, and marketing and, and the world is becoming more and more global, which we understand is a trend. But information's also moving much, much faster. And I'll give you an example. So, for instance, you can jump on Twitter, which I think Twitter can be a great tool to use at times. But all of a sudden, you jump on there and you get all these pieces of information coming at you but a lot of them are disguised as information or facts, but they're really opinions. So you have to really get good at being able to get back to the source and kind of simplify all this information so that you just don't become overwhelmed with it and and look at what are reliable, dependable
0: sources that don't have a, a bias or opinion. Now, there are several reports that we're going to talk about here today that I think fit that definition. They should not have a bias. They should be uh, they should be just fact, as we know them right now. And those are a couple of USDA reports. Uh, we're going to talk about the WASDE report, the World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates that come out monthly. And then there's the Quarterly Grain Stocks report that comes out, like it says, four times a year. What are the keys with these two reports? Why do you think they're important, Jeff? Well, I think first starting off on the
1: WASDE report, what the WASDE report does a great job of is is looking at all these countries that produce and all the countries that use grain all across the world. For all the different commodities, and we'll talk more about which ones they report on. But then they, uh, they've they got boots on the ground, people in those different areas, bringing all that information together. So in a, a one very organized way, we can get a look at information that our belief would be does not have a bias, does not have an opinion, does have a statistical way in which the information is gathered to give us something that we then can use, or according to how we want to, to be able to go ahead and develop an opinion about the market and so I mean that's what we really rely on from the Wazdy side it gives us a great l- way of looking at supply and demand who all the world players are in each of those areas and and then from there we also then can go over and take a look at the grain stocks and the green stocks report itself that's just a good way for us to know what amount of bushels as we progress through the year are basically on the farm in bins or are physically been transferred and they're sitting in grain facilities. And just to have us an idea at different moments in time, the amount of those bushels.
0: We'll talk about the the importance of each one of these individually, so let's dive in. Let's talk about, uh, spend some time on the WASD report. Since it is, uh, like we say, it's monthly, there's a lot of information in there, but when you break it down, when you boil it down to what it is, what is the purpose of the WASD, Jeff? Yeah, so for
1: us, and, and, and the purpose of that is to really give us an idea of what is the amount of supply, what's going to be produced out there all across the world, in each of those individual countries, everywhere you can imagine. And then from there, it's the amount of how much of that supply are we going to use? What's the demand going to be? And that's reported not only on the U.S. We focus a lot of time on just the U.S., but it's all across the world. But it does go beyond that. What it also tells us as we get into the numbers themselves, it not only tells us what they're going to produce and what they're going to use, it tells us how much is an individual country going to need to import. How much are they going to be short? It also tells us how much are certain countries going to be exporting. So if you think about it and you think of a big table, on one side you've got all the world's producers and across the top in the columns, you would have all the basically world's users and so what USDA does a great job of in the WASDE report is also balancing that out and giving us an idea, how does this matrix balance out? How does the amount of supply from one country, where does it end up? And so that's the level of detail that's physically going into. What that does for us and does for the marketplace, really, Chad, is it It tries to make it so that there aren't a lot of surprises. Now, we know in the commodity market there's going to be a ton of surprises. But in order for us to have an orderly market, one that does not go too high at times or go too low at times, it's really good to have a source of information that's available, that's continually updating us on how all these different supply and demands imports and exports balance out.
0: So you said it is a one report, it's one place that contains a lot of information admittedly, so maybe could you give a little perspective as you've come to know how is this report assembled, how is it prepared and put together?
1: Yeah, and and that's what really, I mean, for some people, they, uh, th- lots of different opinions on the report, right? But as we dig into it, what they've done, and what I appreciate about it, Chad, is that it's a very statistically reliable based on their methodology and sampling, but there's a lot of layers to it. So let's dig into those layers. First of all, starting off, what you've got is you've got the World Agricultural Outlook Board, okay? Within USDA, they're responsible for physically saying, okay, we reviewed the numbers, we're going to sign off, and we're going to approve the report. But there's a lot of work that has to be done to get to that report. Mm -hmm. And so think about the next layer is what they call their interagency Commodity Estimates Committees, okay? So we've got this level. And think of that as kind of the workhorses, Mm -hmm. all right? So each of these committees has an analyst from the World Agricultural Outlook Board on it, heading it up, and then they've got all the different resources that are available out there, bringing all the information together. And this is so complex, Chad, they break it down and they actually have nine different committees. Now, these nine different committees, they're tasked with coming up with basically supplying demand numbers for wheat, for rice, for feed grains, for oil seeds, for cotton, for sugar, for meat that's coming in from the animals. That could be our livestock, uh, also for poultry, it could be for cattle, for hogs also for dairy and for eggs. But there's there's nine different agencies that actually, these interagency agency
0: commodity estimate committees that have to bring their numbers together. You got the overseers, you got the workforce, and the workhorses. Where do the workhorses get their information?
1: So one of the things we said, it's about coming up with supply and demand. So as we talk about supply, what that really means is production. So starting off on the US production side, what they do is it, that that uh, Interagency Commodity Committee, they rely on NAS, the National lag Statistics Service, at both the state level and the national level to physically come up with all the information on production and also the information on stocks. And that's where that quarterly stock information is important. But we know that uh, the report isn't just about the U.S. It's about the world. And any time we're dealing with foreign production, then that's when we got to reach out. And you'll hear, you guys will report on it at times in, the, you know, in some of your different broadcasts. That's where you get the foreign ag service involved. And we'll even hear them talk about it at different times coming out of their field offices. You'll have a foreign ag service attache report. And those information gets reported and they'll say, hey, we think, uh, you know, that Ukraine's going to produce X amount of bushels. And so then that information can get integrated in. But then they also rely on the official data coming out of those foreign governments. Now, we realize that certain governments, we have to take their numbers with a grain of salt as we go forward and as technology improves satellite imagery. So they're checking for reasonables. Now, wait a minute. A certain country says they're going to have a a record crop, but uh, we don't see it. You hear them talk a lot about the NDVI data, looking at the plant health data. In addition to that, you got to take a look at the information for those areas. So they're just not blindly taking this information and saying, oh, we're going to accept it at face value. They're cross-checking it. They've got their different models in place to be able to bring that together. So that gives you kind of the production side of, of what they're pulling together. But then, it's even more complicated, Chad. <laughs> then we've got to talk about the trade and, and what bushels are going to go to what country. Mm-hmm. And and so then you've got a lot of different economists that, that they're having to physically dig in and say, OK, what do we think the economy of China is going to be like? And as a result of that, what do we think their demand is going to be like? then we also got to rely on the foreign ag services to be able to say, okay, for these individual countries, what does the individual demand and supply at at that level going to be? The U.S. Census, we, a lot of times, we don't talk a lot about the U.S. Census, but the U.S. Census is tracking what trade is happening um, from one country to another all across the world. So that brings the trade data in. Mm. But then in addition to that, you've, you've got a whole nother level. And as you dig into that level, that's where you've got the Economic Research Service. And what they're doing is they're really tasked with compiling and analyzing information. You'll hear us sometimes talk about the Ag Marketing Service. That's a a service that um, you might even utilize at times. It brings together different pieces of market information, Mm -hmm. um, prices and different things. FSA offices, the foreign, you know, the FSA, the... Farm Service Agency, you know, they're bringing together acre data that gets consumed um, every week out of the Energy Information Administration. We get data on what's going on with ethanol, and that's coming out of the Department of Energy. And then there's also many other, probably too many to name, government agencies that actually pull information that the ERS, the, the Economic Research Service, compiles and analyzes just to try to come up with What do we think the demand and
0: supply is all going to be right? So just kind of reinforcing that, uh, I think a lot of the attention just gets looked at what is total production going to be, what is total usage going to be, and they kind of take everything else as automatic. But as you've highlighted, there's logistics, there's geopolitical conversations, there's... um, Currency, there's, you know, what is our policy? There's policy. What is our view of doing business with this entity? That all is captured in this report, too, isn't it? Oh, it
1: has to be in order for it to be accurate. And what we have to realize is that it's a snapshot in time. And as we go through the year, conditions change, weather changes, political climates change, leaders change. Yeah. And and all those things are going to have impacts. So, would we expect the numbers to be exact on, spot on, and it's never going to change? Absolutely not. That's that's really not realistic.
0: Now, you went back, and, and I think you mentioned it, but again, kind of reinforcing all of the uh, all of the commodities that are a part of the WASDI, because again for and for this purpose you know corn and soybeans and wheat probably get a lot of attention but there are uh, like you said beyond that there are livestock products that are included in WASDI as well yeah in order to get a good
1: idea of what's really going on with really agriculture and you know, all across the world and as a result of different commodities it's they're all interrelated there's certain ones that will substitute for others. So as you dig into that, I mean, first looking at ones that are common for both the world and the U.S. numbers, I mean, it's a list like you'd expect. You've got your wheat, you've got your rice. Now, something that's interesting, you'll hear a lot of people talk about coarse grains, and that'll get brought up, and all of a sudden, a lot of people's minds will stop and go, I don't know what that is. Well, in the world of going through the Wazir report, that that means corn. That means sorghum that means barley and that means oats mm-hmm. and then we get in we talk about oil seeds well what are oil seeds well oil seeds are your soybeans your rape seed, and your palm and then from there we also have cotton now keep in mind those are ones that are commodities that are common to the u.s and the world now as we talk about just the u.s we do go a little deeper we also include sugar we also do talk about meat whether that be hogs or whether that ultimately be cattle. We get into poultry, we get into eggs, get into milk, and believe it or not, Chad, also, because it's it's an important factor, uh, we talk about Mexico's supply and use of sugar. And and that gets all back brought together. So those are all the different commodities that, that are involved in the WASDI report.
0: We're kind of at a a changing point in this podcast, I'd say, where we talk about its release and how we use it. But before we do that, um, do you have any insight as to the timeline for putting together a report? Because the WASDE comes out monthly. It's usually kind of the first third or first half of the month. But how long does it take to accumulate and put all of that data together?
1: Yeah, that's a great point or question. And actually, it's an ongoing process. So basically all the different agencies and everything that we physically talked about, uh, they're continually gathering that information. And and what we really happens is that with the WASDI report, because the report's coming out, it kind of forces all that to be assembled at one point in time. Mm-hmm. And that's what really brings it. So there's really not necessarily a start and an end, it's a continuation.
0: Well, let's just switch gears here a little bit and talk about uh, the release of this report. Now, there is a cornerstone of USDA reports, and I think that cornerstone says everybody gets the information at the same time. Why is that re- important? Why and and how does USDA accomplish that?
1: Yeah, so let's just take a look at the importance of the information. So what we're talking about from a fundamental perspective, the the supply and the demand, is that if uh, if for some reason somebody got the information ahead of others. In this day and age, they'd have a big advantage in the market, and they they could take advantage of that, right? And actually, in a matter of the past, that has happened. If you can believe, uh, or if you can imagine, Chad, through time, everybody's tried everything. So, for instance, uh, when they get together, um, the process right now is that they come into a, a lockup situation, and that's where they've got one particular area uh, within one particular building of USDA that physically they know is going to be secure. So what are the steps that they take? And then I'll talk about what are some things that have happened in the past to cause them to have to take these steps. <laughs> so, so the first thing is, is that no one person ha- ever has all the information prior to the release of it. There's different piece of information from the supply and demand side. So what that can assure everybody of is the fact that nobody would have enough information to be able to take that and take a position in the market that would benefit them. So the morning of the report, basically the doors in the area that's going to be used for the lockup are secured. The window shades mm-hmm. are are secured so that ultimately they're not able to be moved in any particular way. Because in the past, what they found out is that there were some individuals that were going into lockup and they were getting enough the information that they felt that it would be able to have a system where depending on where they had the shade positioned, it would allow them to physically tell their partner on the outside, you should buy or sell. And so what happened? They had to get to a point where they had to secure the shade. So that couldn't happen. What about all these electronic devices that people carry? Yeah, so they block them or jam them. So there's no communication in by telephone, no communication in by internet or anything. That area is completely secured. So once you've got all that secured, than anybody who comes in, you have to physically uh, have the proper credentials. Now, believe it or not, I haven't ever done this. I think it'd be kind of fun to do, but they do let different individuals or commodity groups go in and go through the lockup. So, if you ever have a chance to do that, I'd I'd strongly encourage you to do that. So, so every all the analysts, the people with the information, present their credentials. They come into the secured area. And then what they have is at NAS, okay, so we've talked about the different pieces of information being separate. And then at that moment, once everybody's inside there, then NAS actually shares the National Ag Statistics Service. They share their production information with the, the World Agricultural Outlook Board, their analysts. So then that by all these other individual analysts coming together that then allows them in a secure environment to bring all the numbers together to get the Wazir report. Upon getting the Wazir report put together, then at 11 a.m. Central Time, um, they physically would release it. Once the report is released, then actually the lockup is lifted.
0: We've talked about all the information that goes into it. I guess as you look at it, how is it structured? What are the pieces of the WASDI? You know, and a
1: lot of times, I don't think everybody gets a chance. And I don't know how many people actually had a chance to take a look at what the actual WASDI report is. I mean, it's generated in a PDF form, it's in a, a written form, but most generally what you see, whether it be in the media or social media or wherever, you just see bits and pieces of it. But you've got a very extensive document. You've got a document it's usually about 40 pages long, okay? At the beginning of the report's a written summary that, that really just highlights what the, physically the analysts saw, you know, was production up, down, explanations on why they changed demand. And believe it or not, that usually run about five pages. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what's nice is they give you all the contact information for the analysts who were in charge of each of those interagency commodity um, estimate committees. Then you've got a brief table of contents for just simplicity to look through the report. And then the data itself, Chad, the US and world numbers, it's about 26
0: pages. Just of the numbers just and the calculations. The numbers,
1: just the numbers and calculations. And so that's the level of detail. And and what I'd mentioned at the beginning is that, you know, what they do in their processes. There's they're statistically valid. What they do is they actually give you three pages of just statistics and that statistics that they physically give talks about the reliability of their projections. They'll be the first to admit they're they're never going to get it hit perfectly but what they do is they track everything so close they're able to tell you basically for that given report for that particular piece of information they're able to tell you what their statistical reliability is that takes up three pages and then at the very end, they give you a listing of some of the additional reports that you can use if you want to look at it and dig in and see behind the scenes even more data about what's supporting the information that goes into the WOD report.
0: As you were talking about the statistics, you know that's kind of the that's the pages that prove that we do or don't know what we're talking about, maybe or the the maybe the validity of this or what we think of it. Is there ever a situation where USDA will say? Hey, there are gaps that we're not sure of and we want to make that known or the fact that we think we've got a lot of information we think it's pretty good and we think that this is as spot on as, as we ever can or absolutely can be at any given point you know what i'm saying yeah i do know exactly
1: what you're saying and i'll, I'll give you an example where they where they will do that um basically in this last report we kind of had an example of one particular port where we where you ended up having a situation where there was acres of uh, wetness up in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, and what they said is, you know what, we need to have a resurvey of those acres. So they went back to the entity, they went back to NAS, who was supplying that data, and they did a resurvey, and then that information gets brought in. And so yeah, in the front section of it on the write-up that talks about, they'll, they'll address any particular issues or where they think they need to take additional steps. So we've come
0: to this point now where uh, let's, let's take this big report that we get, like you said, some 40 pages, five pages of summary, 40 pages of report, boil it down to what does it mean to the farmer? What information in the WASD is going to be of value to the farmer and his efforts to market grain, Jeff?
1: Yeah, so what we like to do, or we like to say, is you know, in the beginning, we talked about how complicated all the information could be. But in order to have a very good marketing plan and to have information that you're working off of, you have to simplify that process. And so what we do is we take these 40 pages and distill it down and said, we want you to be able to walk along, understand the market with the least amount of numbers that still carry the most significance. And that really comes back down to using total supply minus total demand. Okay. That gives us an ending stock number the amount of bushels that we expect to have left over. Now, what did we do there? Well, we took all this information about what production was gonna be, we took all this information at the US and world level about demand, and we've distilled it down into one number. Now, that one number by itself is very useful, but it becomes even more powerful when we do one more calculation. We take that ending stock number, divided by our total demand, and we get a stocks-to-use percentage. And you might say, well, big deal. So you have a percentage. The power of that percentage is huge, Chad. What we're able to do then with that percentage is we're able to say, okay, what this says is that when we look at this pile of grain that we have left over, in proportion to what our demand is, that percentage we then can compare back from one year to another to another. And then we can look at the price. And what it gives us is a reasonable price range of what we'd expect the market to be performing at under the situation that we had at that moment in time when that WASD report was released. Now, you have to keep refreshing that percentage. You can refresh it as you see supply and demand conditions change until you get the next report, or you do a refresh on it when you get to the next report and then you've got a number. What we're really doing there is some basic fundamental analysis, Chad, where we're using the supply and demand information to relate it back to price.
0: And I would imagine that uh, an abrupt change in that number, and that ratio that you described, much like the market, the market likes to know a lot, but if uh, all of a sudden something changed, the market's gonna react. And if that number changes, that ratio that you described, that's a trigger for our marketing plan, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it really is. And we like to, you know, uh, we, we use it in a way to gauge kind of how we're going along. So it becomes mm-hmm. very, very useful. Now, there is another number that's useful to the farmer. I wouldn't say it really necessarily would cause us to take any action in our marketing plan. But one of the things that I failed to mention that they also do come up with is they do come up with a marketing year average estimate, mm-hmm.
0: And, and for price, yeah. For
1: price, exactly. And, and that's uh, right underneath the ending stock number that's in the calculations in the tables they put together. And that information just gives you an idea where it can be used, gives you a rough idea to say, hey, this is what they're reporting or projecting, depending on where you're at in the crop year. This is what the, they're looking at for the price. How did I do in relation to that price? Because what that's intending to do Yet in a very high level to say, what do we think the farmer, if he would have physically just made sales as we went through the year, would have got for a price,
0: taking into account all the different basis levels all across the nation. You've kind of laid out a pretty good argument of the importance of the WASD report. So why is it important that we have the WASD report and use it? Yeah, so... The reason I would say for us and
1: just kind of walking back over it is it it really brings a transparency to the information. It brings the information from all the different corners of the world together into one centralized place that everybody can look at and scrutinize. And some people may agree with the number, they may disagree with the number, but what's really powerful is we all have a number. And without the basically the WASDE report, You'd have different agencies, you'd have different individuals, you'd have different companies putting information together that may not be anywhere near accurate. And depending on what happens with that, unfortunately, the market may go way too
0: high or way too low, and that's never in the best interest of any of us. That's where we're going to end part one of our conversation. Join us for part two as we break down the quarterly grain stocks report. Again, our guest today, Jeff Peterson, president of Heartland Farm Partners in Lincoln. This is Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Sweeping farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Siklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskett. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.